have a question before Nathan begins asking his questions. Um, you, you, uh, the idea of Jesus Christ, who, who is that to you from all the, the knowledge that you've gained over the years? Who is that to you now? Well, I uh, am torn between two different hypotheses. Uh, one, that uh, there was no historical Jesus, and uh, that is largely because too much of it fits too well the ancient mythic hero archetype. Uh, everything from a divine annunciation to a miraculous conception, a child prodigy story, uh, miracles of healing and exorcism, um, healing where uh, ordinary doctors cannot, the sort of, a, uh, you know, brand X versus uh, Jesus kind of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and then uh, great popular acclaim, some kind of a claim that that he is a king or or should be. And uh, but then the people turn on him and he is uh, put to death on on a hilltop, oddly enough, in several different ancient stories. <clears throat> and uh, it, then uh, after that, there's uncertainty about where the body is. There's a few examples of that in the Old Testament, even with Moses and Elijah and so on but also with uh, ancient Greek stories. And uh, possibly, uh, often there are post-mortem appearances to disciples, giving them orders what to do henceforth in his name and, uh, and an ascension into heaven. And there's so many such stories. <clears throat> and nobody really thinks any of the other ones are historical. So suddenly, here's one in which people have a vested interest because of their institutional affiliation with churches and so on, where, oh yeah, they'll make an exception for this one. And as a comic book fan, I always compare it to, uh, suppose somebody was desperately trying to get people to believe that Superman had actually existed. Okay, we don't see him today, but uh, back in the 30s, he appeared and so on. <clears throat> and you said, well, wait a minute. Uh, why should I think he's any more real than Captain Marvel or the Martian Manhunter or any of these guys? What's the difference? This one really happened? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. It, it seems to me once you step back from it, you realize what a uh, what a row there is to hoe. It, it just seems like it's special pleading. And uh, not only that, but I think the thing that pushed me over the edge uh, on mythicism, so-called, was that virtually every gospel story uh, can easily be explained. Uh, by that, I mean it makes a lot of sense, not that you can prove it, but it, it is very plausible to suggest that each gospel episode is a rewrite of some Old Testament story, usually involving Moses, Elijah, Elisha, sometimes Joshua, sometimes David. And uh, you begin to wonder, wait a minute, like... Um, Jesus <clears throat> multiplies <clears throat> food miraculously for a number of people. What's more likely that that actually happened uh, or that um, 
that uh, somebody simply rewrote a well-known scriptural story, uh, which was would have been so far in the past, there'd be no real reason to believe that happened. Now, this does not involve some stubborn refusal to believe that miracles or paranormal events happen. Who, who knows? I mean, unless somebody invents a time machine, we, we don't know what happened right. in the past. But what is more likely? What is a, a story... Uh, look more like. And another silly uh, example I give, suppose you uh, came in from a hard day's work, uh, something being a shiftless bum I never have to do, but suppose, <clears throat> supposedly um, you came in from a hard day's labor and you sit down in front of the TV. You don't remember what channel was last on. You click on the thing, and the first thing you see is footage of a giant reptile stomping tonk, uh, Tokyo into matchsticks. Uh, what's your first guess? Oh, I, I guess I'm watching the news channel. Mm. No, no. Uh, you don't know that that this is impossible, though you've never heard of a, of a real case of it. But you do know there's plenty of Godzilla movies out there. Uh, so what would be your guess? Which is more likely? You'd have to say, I, I, it would have to be another Toho Studios flick. Uh, and that's the way all history is. You don't know what happened. You weren't there. Hmm. But... Um, well, in fact, it's like my father. He was in Patton's Third Army, and he was present at the liberation of the Dachau concentration camp. He told me what he had seen. He wrote it down and so forth. So when nuts out there say, oh, you know, there was no Holocaust, I said, no, I I'm afraid I know better because my own father was an eyewitness of it, right? But usually, you know, with something 2,000 years in the past, you don't have that kind of reliable testimony. And uh, I know people try to circumvent that by saying, oh, we weren't there. But the apostles and the gospel writers were. We don't know that. That sheer supposition. Uh, there's no way to prove that, and it's not even clear that it's it's a claim by those authors, uh, though people read it that way. Uh, so I, I uh, wound up thinking it, it seems most likely to me that there was no historical Jesus. Uh, there probably was no historical Buddha or Moses, and you can make the same sort of arguments. Um, but the other option uh, that I take seriously is a possibility is the one set forth by scholars, I guess, beginning in the um, 18th century, like Hermann Samuel Reimarus, and after him, Robert Eisler, and then S.G.F. Brandon in the 20th century, who said that Jesus probably did exist, but he was an ancient, uh, an, an anti-Roman insurrectionist, uh, like several we know of from contemporary historians like Josephus and others right. who told us about this one and that one and how they came to a bad end and so forth. There are some really startling similarities there and also odd little things that look like loose ends in the Gospels, things that don't seem to fit the general narrative, but do kind of sound like a uh, uh, like um, somebody has tried to whitewash the thing, but missed some stuff. Like at the Last Supper where Jesus says, uh, up to now you've gotten along fine spreading my message, right? Uh, yeah, that's right, Lord. Well, 
from now on, uh, if you don't have a sword, you'd better sell your shirt and buy one. And well, here's a couple of swords. Things. Well, that ought to do it. Uh, what is that? What is going on there? Right. And and this is right before the arrest in the garden where these guys do whip out swords and, and it's an abortive attempt to, to rescue him. Uh, and and what what is Barabbas? Uh, they say he had killed somebody during the insurrection. Uh, what insurrection? Uh, was it the thing that Jesus led at the temple? Uh, what did he do in the cleansing of the temple? This area, the court of the Gentiles that he's pictured, you know, overturning the tables and all that stuff. This was bigger than several football fields. Oh, wow. uh, he must have had an armed troop in there to control the space, which it says he did, right? He wouldn't let anybody bring the temple vessels back through. What was he doing? Uh, just said, uh -uh, shame, shame, stand back there. No, he must have had armed guards. And and there are, there are other things. He had one disciple known as the Zealot, uh, and, and a little later, we hear of, a, of the fourth philosophy, the revolutionary zealots who are violent anti-Romanists. Another one named Barjona. Well, that was the Barjonim. They were another revolutionary group. Or, um, oh, geez, there's a, a third one uh, as well. Uh, but at any rate, what are these odd things doing in there? And I think, well, where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. Uh, there's, it looks, or the whole thing with blaming the Jews and, and getting Romans off the hook. Oh boy, that pilot, <laughs> he didn't want to, he would do anything to save Jesus' life, uh, but he lets himself get bullied by a, a handful of pool hall rallies underneath his balcony. What? They threaten him and pilot? who was a notorious Jew hater, uh, it just doesn't square with what we know about him. And, and so I, it seems to me either we're dealing with a fiction based on legends, or we have a heavily rewritten thing trying to sanitize uh, someone who had been a revolutionary prophet uh, and uh, that he got into trouble, was crucified as a rebel, but the group wanted to continue. And they said, uh, just like uh, non-Christian Jews, okay, Rome, we're not going to give you any more trouble. Can you let us just go on as a religious group? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, there's nothing implausible about that. So I have to admit that that's a viable way to look at Jesus. But again, who knows? It's just juggling theories. And that's all we can ever do, apparently. Right, right, right. Wonderfully said, Robert. Wonderfully said. <laughs> Oh, I, I want to just mention a little bit about you, how you have five oh, yeah. PhDs and how you're an author, a successful author, and also how you're a well-renowned scholar across the world. I'm a huge fan personally, <laughs> and that you can see you all across YouTube. So I want to highly recommend you, obviously. So I want to put that on record. Right, right on. I have a question. Um, well, before I ask this question, Robert, um, uh, I grew up in the Catholic church and, um, 
I started my website about three years ago is because it's about ancient history and, you know, ancient history is big on religion. Also, all the way, it, my, my favorite civilization goes back to the Sumerians only because they're considered the um, first to have a writing system in the academia world. And I'm sure you've heard about the Anuna slash the Anunnaki, right? And I'm, I'm pretty sure you have mm-hmm. some ideas on who they may be or who they may not be. Um, but when I started to study the Anuna slash the Anunnaki, I had to learn from the academia world of who exactly they were, the electronic text corpus of Sumerian literature from the Oxford University. I also had to read um, the, the book that they also have, the ancient literature of Sumer. And everything that I read from ancient Mesopotamia to Mesoamerica, the Popo Vu, the, uh, and then the, the uh, Mahabharata from the Indus Valley, the Sumerian text, the Akkadian Babylonians, and so on and so forth. I'm in the ancient Egyptians, of course, I get this sense that there's obviously something that individuals believe in that are gods. But I believe that the word God has gotten so far to the point where people believe that there's only one singular God only because of what they read and whatever holy text that they read. But when you go back to the ancient texts like the um, the, the Sumerians, you get this idea of who the Anuna are. And when you read uh, the ancient Hebrew texts, you learn about the Elohim. I, I want to understand from your perspective, from what you've learned, what is the true definition that you think is the most reliable definition for what a God is or what God is? Uh, well, that, that spins off into a lot of different things. <laughs> I, I always feel like that uh, the conventional view of God as a non-material mm-hmm. uh being with a personality, with a mind, with a will, and so forth, who is nonetheless somehow ever-present and all-knowing and outside of time. I take that sort of popular conventional definition to be the God I want to argue about as to whether it exists or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there might be, if it does, there's... Um, well, apparently it's a he uh, right. there uh, and uh, that's um, but people uh, seem to realize there's a problem with this. And uh, so they begin to say, oh, yeah, I believe in God, but let me totally redefine it. Yeah. It's the power of creativity or uh, it's the lure toward the future or it's the uh, power of being, whatever that uh, means or um, and to me, that that might be the case, but I don't think you're really talking about what anybody means by God anymore. Uh, yeah. And uh, like Tillich really pushed this to the limit when he says it's an incorrect question to ask whether ask whether God exists, because uh, to exist means you're a being you mm-hmm. are participating in existence. And yet, as it's no nothing new, Thomas Aquinas and others said that God is being itself. Uh, God doesn't participate in being God. If a God would, Zeus would be uh, the supreme being, the greatest 
list of all these divine entities, but he exists, supposedly. Whereas uh, it's not quite clear that if you define God as being itself or the ground of being, that it, it even means anything to say God exists. Uh, you're dealing with a different order of, of speech then. Does being exist? Well, there you've dipped into a philosophical debate about um, what would it be? Uh, nominalism and realism uh, is is like Plato says, is there being with a capital B that is more real than the, the things that exist? Uh, or was Aristotle right? Well, no, that's that's hand, handy, but it's a generalization. Mm -hmm. It's just a conceptual model. Uh, that and that's a toughie. I I tend not to go with the idealists or realists that the, the there is this ideal reality, the form of the good or whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you mean there is uh, such a thing uh, conceptually? It's it's in your mind, but as what? As, as like a, a like a what would like a what do they call them an irrational number or an imaginary number or something it doesn't actually exist but it technically it's a logical factor in mathematics and so is that what you mean by being itself and uh so Tillich said it's not clear that it's even a meaningful question to say does god exist it, god doesn't exist because uh, he he's not that's to lower the divine wow. and it is mind twisting but i do kind of take that seriously and it it seems clear to me that uh the minute you start getting any use out of god as a person when you say I hope God will answer my prayer that that evil will subside in the world and uh, people will learn to love one another. What do you mean? What what is he going to do? Hypnotize everybody? Or do you say, oh, thank God I didn't get on that. I didn't make my flight because the plane <laughs> crashed and everybody was killed. Well, I know what you're saying. Thank God. You're saying, yeah, uh, uh, that is something to be grateful for. But are you grateful to someone? Uh, I I don't think so, because that's like when Jesus says, I love this thing in Luke where people tell Jesus about this Roman atrocity that they killed a bunch of Jews while they were sacrificing in the temple. And Jesus uh, has answers. Do you think all those Jews were worse sinners than all the, the rest of the people in Jerusalem? No. Or the those on that he brings up an example, those on whom the Tower of Siloam crashed. You think they were worse sinners than everybody else in Jerusalem? No. Uh, and that's uh it's like once you start raising elementary questions. It just seems ridiculous and absurd. Uh, what is what is God? God is a genie of some kind. He needs you to tell him what to do. Uh, and he's involved in, uh, he's answering everybody's prayers. It's like Santa climbing down the chimneys of every house all right. over the world in a single night. It just seems to me... It, it, it's not a viable notion. You can't really think it out to, to a, a degree where it makes any sense. But okay, then I don't believe in a personal God. But then what else do you mean by it? I think mm -hmm. that vanishes too. So I, I would, I don't really want to say I'm an atheist. 
because that's too narrow, I, I would rather say that I am not a theist. Uh, and uh, and I, I don't even disrespect those who have beliefs because I mentioned Aquinas. Uh, Aquinas was, he makes me look like some sort of salamander. I mean, these there, there are, are believing Christians that were much smarter than I'll ever be. I just have to call them like I see them, but I respect everybody else's opinion. Right. Uh, and so I, I hate this kind of, what I call Westboro atheists, uh, the the ones that just hate religion and religious people. Uh, that's that's not what I'm at. I'm kind of a loyal opposition because I love religion and religious people. But I guess I feel like Joseph Campbell. I, I cannot really identify with any of them anymore because I kind of know too much about them. Okay, so that's more than you asked for. No, no, that I'm glad you said it like that that's because it, 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 it that is wonderful. It made sense. Um, you 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 basically gave me your emotional feelings towards it with with your knowledge behind it, and that that's what I I I needed because, you know, like I said, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I kind of um I don't believe the same things that I believed in when I was little, and it's only because, like I said, I studied a Sumerian language, I I studied Akkadians, Babylonians, the Mesoamericans, mm. and so on and so forth. I really deeply get into it. And when you mentioned Plato, I actually have thirty of his books. Like I love his books because there's so mm. much knowledge in there, and I really read a lot. Like I, it seems like I read so much to the point that um, one thing I, I have one question answered, but then like 10 more questions come up behind mm -hmm. it. And it's like that for everything that I, that I read about. I have a lot mm -hmm. of articles on my website that I share where I, I, I take these, you know, those little, um, sign signature tabs that, that people put on contracts and stuff like that, you know, in the old, old school ways, most people, they used to highlight their books or underline those. Well, in order to go back and find that stuff, you have to have the page number and you have to go through the book and find it. I actually just put those signature tabs there now. So that way I can quickly flip to it and be like, okay, I want to research this material more. So I read at least six to eight hours a day. And then I take that. Wow. Six to, yeah. I love, I didn't, when I was a little kid, I never used to read. The first book that I actually read that got me into reading was probably Animorphs. I don't know if you know anything about that, but it was a, it was a really good show. Uh, they started a show on it. It had a couple of book series on there, and it kind of started me on reading books. Um, I actually, I'll tell you a story about it. I actually got grounded one day, and I couldn't watch TV and stuff. My parents wouldn't let me watch TV for about two weeks, so um, I found this book. I don't know how I got the got the book in my hand, and I just read the book, and I was like, mm, "This is pretty interesting." And then um, you mentioned how uh, uh, you said your father was in in in, in the war, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually served. Um, uh, I'm actually a combat wounded veteran. I I was wounded in Afghanistan. Um, wow, my, my hat's off to you. Thank you, thank you. And um, it's an honor to serve, you know. And uh, after I got wounded in combat, they had to let me go because I have a lot of wounds. I have a brain injury and I took some shrapnel and so on and so forth. So um, after that, when I, when I got medically retired from the military, I actually started to read more. Like I started really reading books. So I, I sit there and play The Simpsons in the background because that's my favorite show. I have that pain <laughs> in the background and I'll, and I'll sit there and read. All I like that. the cut of your gym, <laughs> I enjoy it. I, I really have their tartar sauce. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched that episode yesterday. I mean, I, when I watch The Simpsons, I watch The Simpsons. It's like it's like a ritual here. My my wife knows if I'm ready to go to sleep, I'm going to turn on The Simpsons. If I'm ready to read, I'm going to turn on The Simpsons and stuff. But um, I, I like to do this. And that's how I actually found Nathan, because uh, 
we um we he he's he's agnostic he loves uh information he we we back back um uh we we come do a lot of comparative study discussions online and he's mm -hmm. taught me a lot on the gnostic side because i feel like uh, and that there are a lot of people out there that have information and if we take all our puzzle pieces together and put them you know on the table and work together to put that puzzle together we there's no idea what picture we've seen and the only reason why i say that is because everybody it's hard to get all this information you know you can spend hours and hours and hours reading but mm. you, you it's never enough time to do that my favorite author um he wrote books in the 1700s 1733 uh godfrey higgins I don't know if you you ever heard of him, but he has these. Yeah, yeah he he has these these books, Anacalypsis, Volume One and Two, the Celtic mm -hmm. Druids, and they're really thick books and with a lot of information on it. And it seems like everything that I research in his books, it still kind of applies today. The only issue is that he's only going off of information that he uh, was afforded at that time frame, you know. Mm -hmm. And as time went on, we did more archaeological digs, more studies in linguistics, and so on and so forth. So more information came out, but the information he shared never really went away anywhere. It's, it's like a, almost an encyclopedia guide for individuals that want to learn about the origins of religion and languages, and and so on and so forth. But I really appreciate you saying that, Nathan. Anything you want to say? I understand. Um, I would like to ask you some uh, questions, Mr. Robert Price, um, about Paul being Simon Magus, which I 100% agree, and Gnosticism being the main foundation of Christianity. I'd like to see your views on this subject. Well, I uh, have a sort of complex and admittedly weird sounding theory of Christian origins in that I, I do think well, I think that um, Christianity began probably as a kind of Essene uh, sect, just like uh, Renan and a lot of people said. Uh, and that's partly based on recent work uh, that uh, explains the Christian, the strange Christian appropriation of Passover as a reinterpretation of the the celebration of Pentecost every 50 days with the sacred meal at uh, Qumran and so on and so on. But there's, um, I think that um, uh, Robert Eisenman and before him, another guy, what's his name? Um, oh boy, I'm going senile. Uh, uh, maybe I'll think of it later. Uh, the, these guys said that the Dead Sea Scrolls community was the Jerusalem church, and uh, that uh, which only makes sense of a lot of things that people have said since the discovery of the scrolls in 1947. That wow, boy, look at these parallels of the early church and Acts, the communalism, and this and that, and the other thing the governing body of 12 and an inner circle of three, which sounds a lot like the Gospels and so forth. And uh, and um, if you combine that with what the pseudo-Clementines say about the sect of John the Baptist, who again has long been hypothetically connected with the Essenes in Qumran, we're not absolutely sure, but it'd be almost surprising if it weren't so, uh, then... Uh, the pseudo-Clementines tell us that the two top disciples of the teacher of righteousness, uh, who was apparently James the Just, 
they were Simon Magus and Dosithius, another Samaritan, and that Simon was in line to uh, be John's successor, but he was off in Egypt uh, doing research when John was killed. And so they uh, went to number two and made Dosithius the, the head of it. And uh, Simon was not too pleased when he came back and found this out. Well, for a while, he was a good sport, but he began to become disillusioned with uh, Dosithius and challenged him supposedly to a miracle contest. I don't know what that would have been, but who knows? Uh, and uh, that um, uh, Dosithius said, I got to admit it, you are the standing one, not me. And uh, then Dosithius supposedly left town and started his own sect, which lasted for, for some time, the Dosithians. And uh, so, but then uh, if you put this together with uh, admittedly cryptic cipher language from the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says that the spouter of lies separated from the men of the community uh, because he renounced the, the covenant in the midst of the congregation and that that had something to do with his building a, a city of blood uh, recruiting uh, the simple ones of Ephraim, uh, promoting smooth things. He was making it easier, like what Bonhoeffer would have called cheap grace. And uh, this sounds to me so much like uh, the split between Paul and the, the, the Jerusalem pillars. Uh, and uh, what Judaizing Christians didn't like about Paul. He says, wait a minute, you're, you're telling these poor dumb Gentiles they don't have to be circumcised and keep the Torah? I mean, we're talking about the Jewish Messiah, and you're saying we're not going to keep the Jewish Torah? What is this? You're just making it easy for these people. They're not really even true followers of Jesus, though you're deceiving them into thinking they are. Uh, and uh, but uh, this tension, Paul says in Galatians that he tried to overcome by setting forth his case to the pillars. And they said, well, OK, you go your way, uh, we'll go ours. Uh, but uh, it sure would be handy if you were to take a collection among your admittedly bigger clientele out there uh, and pay tribute to us. I mean, you owe it to us, as it says in Romans 14, I think. Uh, and I said, all right, no problem. And uh, but then, as we also hear in Galatians, they stabbed him in the back and sent uh, emissaries after he had left founding a church and said, you know, uh, you've made a good beginning, but Paul didn't tell you the whole thing, which is this. You better get circumcised. Said, oh, oh, OK. Mm -hmm. And Paul said, what? And he writes Galatians and so on. That sure sounds to me like he he made a deal to, to live and let live and that they repudiated it. And um, uh, let's see, and that as uh, F.C. Bauer and others pointed out, we have the story of the final split disguised a bit in Acts chapter 8, I think it is, with Simon Magus, uh, when he when uh, he sees Peter imparting the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands with some visible result. 
which comparing with the rest of Acts probably means they were speaking in tongues and prophesying. And Simon, depicted as a conjurer, says to Peter, gee, I, this is pretty impressive. I, I'd like to learn how you do this trick. I'll be happy to pay you for the knowledge as a colleague. And he says, what? Get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have no role in this ministry. In fact, I can see you've Brian on a spit in hell right now. No, 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 please pray that this may not happen. <laughs> well, uh, okay, what I think this all meant is that at some point, as Simon's um, movement was growing and he was successful in founding these congregations, the, uh, the Qumran elders, the 12 and the three, uh, thought, um, we're shriveling up here. Uh, we're uh, just like in 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 Galatians and Acts. They're the poor. They their socialistic, communalistic lifestyle bankrupted them, as it inevitably must. And so they needed uh, cash from outside, and that's what they were relying on Paul to do. And he did, or Simon. And um, but then they decided that you know. Uh, if we could get a hold of his congregations and get him to switch their allegiance to us because we're teaching the real way of Jesus, we wouldn't have to worry about this guy. We could just get the, the uh, money ourselves. They would be our franchises. And uh, that that's uh, so that uh, the deal was off. But while it was on, uh, I know this is impossibly complicated. Uh, while it was on, Simon must have made a theological compromise with them. Irenaeus tells us that Simon claimed that he had seemingly suffered on the cross as the son, uh, and uh, that he had been known among the Jews before that as the father, and now he was active as the spirit. So he was a reincarnation somehow uh, of uh, of the son, or perhaps it was an adoptionistic thing, and he the the spirit of the son entered into him. So he must have said, "You have to to the the uh, heads of the Jerusalem slash Qumran Church. You need to accept my Christ, my own." previous incarnation. And uh, and so they began to write stories uh, in which they still figured as the 12, uh, but uh, they're all shoved to the side because now it's Simon's Christ figure that is paramount in the stories. And uh, similarly, the three uh, in Qumran, well, uh, they were the uh, the three pillars. Mm -hmm. And so they have very little role, but at least they're on the scene. That's something that I think uh, Martin Note, the Old Testament critic, called the redundancy principle, that when a new character is made the star and put on center stage, uh, the, uh, the people who were the star are not cut out. They still have their fans, but they take a secondary role, just like Moses and Aaron. Once Aaron is introduced into those stories, Moses is just holding his coat and, and things like that. Uh, and um, so that uh, that would explain how uh, some of this stuff 
settled out as it did. And uh, Simon was of a more esoteric bent, like Qumran was. I mean, they had people memorizing the names of the angels, which is, I think, obviously a Gnostic thing, because you're going to ascend through the heavens and you need to have the names of the archons as the passwords. So they seem to uh, to be, uh, they, they had this inheritance from Simon that it was too late to get rid of, but they didn't want to acknowledge their debt to him. So Simon gets divided into Simon and Paul. Uh, and uh, that way you could rehabilitate what you did owe to this character. Uh, he had founded the churches and all that, but you're sanitizing him, making him one of us, uh, as in Acts, where he's he's paying for these guys' uh, uh, sacrifices. And uh, so that everybody will know these rumors about you are not true, that you don't tell people you don't have to keep the Torah right. Uh, and uh, it's just obviously seems like a face-saving maneuver. So, uh, and then there, there must have been other feed-ins too. I, I think Burton Mack was right that Christianity had several roots. It wasn't just one thing that mutated. There must have been uh, mystery religions and, and uh, other types of pre-Christian Gnosticism. But my guess is that's where um, the basis of Christianity comes from. And one last thing, this is, this or some version of it has to be true to explain the gaping anomaly that, oh, big, big deal, Jesus chooses the 12, and they go out into the world and preach the gospel. Where did Paul come from? <laughs> Where this, uh, out of left field, out of nowhere. Why wasn't he one of the 12? Some people think he was, people that don't know their Bible that mm -hmm. well. And uh, and then why the why did Jesus have to recruit the guy? Mm -hmm. Well, Marcion uh, had it figured out. He said, well, look how they're depicted in the Gospels. They're idiots. Uh, mm -hmm. Jesus must have said, oh boy, back to the drawing board. <laughs> and let, let me find somebody who's got half a brain. Uh, and uh, something like that must be true to, to fit the pieces in. And somebody will no doubt come up with a better way of doing it. But to me, that's what makes the most sense. Right on, right on. That's wonderful. Wonderfully said. I had another one to say as well. And I find this interesting for us, this question. There were some ancient Gnostics out there that believed Jesus was a myth and it didn't matter if he existed or not, as it was more the figure that you achieved for yourself. I'd like to see your views of Jesus being a myth and what evidence you would suggest for others to look towards. Mm, well, uh, the degree to which uh, the Jesus stories parallel uh, the uh, the Old Testament stories, and I go into that in detail in uh, my book, The Christ Myth Theory and Its Problems, uh, where I give you the whole text of the gospel uh, passage and the whole text of the Old Testament passage with some commentary, most of which is not original to me, in fact. I went through a whole bunch of books where scholars would point out this or that as a likely candidate for a rewritten Old Testament story. Some of the, their arguments I found implausible but ultimately i i found it seemed like there was not one story that didn't look kind of like it was a rewrite mm -hmm. thomas l brody wrote some great books on this uh and uh oh, there were several others that i discuss in in that book so that alone might do it but 
uh, in the uh, Christ myth and its problems, I I um, have an essay called Jesus at the Van Vanishing Point, where I um, try to give the, the whole case. Uh, but there's uh, the parallels, I suppose, are the most convincing evidence, parallels of the Old Testament, parallels to the dying and rising gods of the mystery religions. It, it can't all be coincidence. And uh, and nobody pretends that it is in the case. Like, why does Attis kind of resemble Mithras or Adonis? Yeah. Uh, well, people don't have any problem saying, well, one must have borrowed from the other. But here, oh, no, it's hermetically sealed off. And it's just too much for coincidence. Of course, this uh, makes me appreciate it all the more. Yes, I, I used to still go to, to church. Uh, I'm kind of tired of it. But whenever it was uh, Communion Sunday, I would think of how this all goes back to the sacred meals of Osiris, whose mm -hmm. body was the grain and whose blood was the, the fruit of the vine and all that. And Speaking to me, my language. it enhanced and enriched the whole thing that there is this archaic chain going way back <laughs> there. Uh, and to me, it, it just made it all the more important. Right. Yeah. Um, before Nathan asks this next question, you know, um, I read a lot of uh, like I told you about the Sumerians and a lot of people like to uh, say that Jesus is parallel to uh, uh, Inki or Enlil or sometimes even Thoth, because um, some people, uh, uh, some individuals have shared in their books that Thoth and Jesus may be the same and Jesus and Buddha may be the same. And it's not too to me just personally it's not too hard for individuals who have a mindset where they really want people to do good and just be good be deified as a god that, that, i don't see that too far-fetched of happening oh right right and that's what most critical new testament scholars think and it's not unbelievable but uh, the big the problem i have with that is again it's too much like ancient euhemerism where they figured uh, uh there must have been a historical hercules is yeah. too much of a big deal uh and so when did he live and poor herodotus was trying to say well here he's associated with this king but in this story it's he's associated with that one and they weren't contemporaries it looked so, like it just well, goes everywhere know, the arrows are everywhere <laughs> and but they figured he must have existed he was yeah. just a you know strong man and mm -hmm. i guess they probably figured apollo must have owned a tanning salon or something uh, <laughs> and uh aries he must have been like a storm and norman schwarzkopf it's not absurd mm -hmm. uh, it's uh it's it's a kind of version of ancestor veneration but uh the thing is is it necessary yeah. do you really i mean like in in all the hammer vampire movies Movies. They say usually there's a good reason for all these uh, ancient superstitions, and no, there's not. Uh, and uh, but that's it's it's sort of common sense, but it it, it isn't really definitive. And um, and and the uh, the uh, there's a yeah with, with the Jesus. Especially, I find this rings hollow because Bart Ehrman and many others will say, well, Jesus uh, wasn't mentioned by other by real historians. 
of his day. How how come if he did all this great stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, because he didn't do all this great stuff. He was just a, a one more rabbi. And, uh, you know, you're not going to find a chapter on Oral Roberts in an American history book. You know, they're a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if Jesus were that unremarkable, the question is not why uh, historians ignored him, but why Christians didn't ignore him. It's like, again, let's say somebody's trying to prove that Superman existed. And they say, wait a minute, do you really believe this guy could leap tall buildings in a single bound and didn't need to breathe air in outer space and all that? Oh, oh, well, that admittedly, they uh, they puffed it up for fiction's sake, but there must have really been a Superman. And so you start systematically omitting the stuff, shaving off the obvious legend. What have you got left? What was the historical Superman? What well, was he was bones. Clark Kent, a mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. What? Would there have been action comics if it were only about a reporter? <laughs> uh, it's like it, it's self-defeating. Like, what's the big deal? It must have been a pretty big deal. Right, right. Uh, and, uh, and for the same reason, I doubt seriously the Buddha ever existed. Uh, there's even uh, pretty good arguments now that Muhammad never existed. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm surprised at that one, but I've been reading more recent scholarship, and it's no surprise. Yeah, they could have uh, puffed up a real leader like someday they may deify uh dr king yeah. uh i wouldn't be surprised uh or, or einstein or something yeah. uh but uh but the thing is you don't need that i mean it might happen but there are plenty of examples of, of fictional characters that people have wound up uh, people still write letters to sherlock holmes will you take my <laughs> case people still write to uncle and ask how could i be a recruit there uh, and it just seems so real to him right 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 all right go ahead nathan point. i'm because sorry we have a jedi religion too so that's a yes, terrific that's point right. mr robert price <laughs> mm. wonderful i also have another question i have two more left um i want to see your view on ancient christian rituals involving psychedelics or psychedelics that's a good one. within ancient christianity I wouldn't be surprised, but as far as I know, there's no real evidence of it. In fact, when people have more of a case to make about Moses and mm. the pillar of fire and, and all of that stuff, but their arguments all smack of 18th century Protestant rationalism. Uh, and by that, I mean the the more critical thinking theologians were heavily under the spell of Newtonian physics and saw the universe as a great mechanism. Mm -hmm. uh, to think that there were miracles that violated natural law was an insult to God. What, he had to stop things and make mid-course corrections? Mm -hmm. No, it's the, the incredible uh, efficiency of the mechanism of nature that that is a proof of God. So, but these guys still believe that the Bible was infallibly accurate. There was sort of a, it's like a transitional stage in theological evolution. So they wound up saying, 
Well, okay, now we don't believe in miracles, supernatural violations. So the idea of the Bible writers being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they wouldn't have otherwise, okay, that's on the, the trash heap now that we have to recognize that's just superstition. But um, maybe it's true anyway, because all the biblical writers were eyewitnesses of what they wrote. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Mm -hmm. And so you have people saying, okay, Jesus didn't walk on the water. He was water skiing or he, he was, uh, <laughs> he, no, just kidding, where he knew where the stepping stones were or, or whatever. Um, he didn't really multiply the loaves and fish, but he had the Keebler elves in a cave behind him who were baking it and he was handing it out. Uh, and, and with the Old Testament, they said, well, did they cross the, the Red Sea? Well, technically, you know, it's the Sea of Reeds, which is yeah. true. Uh, it's a marsh. And uh, so uh, maybe what happened was uh, that there was uh, seismic activity and subterranean gases um, pushed up the crust of the earth in the seabed, creating a temporary land bridge, and the Israelites managed to, to cross over, but by the time Yul Brenner and his soldiers were uh, uh, hot on their heels, the gases began to dispel, the things mm. sank, and they all drowned. Yeah, yeah, uh, that could have happened. It's <laughs> it's not impossible, but after and the swoon theory, right? Well, Jesus didn't rise from the dead because, of course, that would be a miracle and they don't happen. Uh, it's beneath God's dignity to pull off a magician's trick like that. So what, what happened? Well, the Bible's true, and it says Jesus was crucified, and it says three days later he appeared alive. Well, obviously, he didn't die. Right. Uh, they thought he died, but he didn't. It, this is often taken to be uh, an attempt to debunk Christianity. Well, it's used that way, I guess, but that wasn't the original idea. They're trying to defend the accuracy of the Bible by denying a miraculous resurrection. Well, to me, this stuff where, oh, they saw the pillar of fire, but that was because there was some sort of... Uh, uh, rust, some sort of, I can't think of the actual name, on the, the manna, uh, the wheat they found in the desert, and they started hallucinating. Come on, it's <laughs> conceivable. But, uh, now, again, it's not impossible because right. they did find some residue of marijuana in ancient temples. Uh, so I don't know, but the argument, the specific arguments for this and that alleged miracle strike me as the kind of thing where Jesus was water skiing. Uh, it, it just seems like contrived rationalization. And uh, if you could find more in the way of the, you know, finding the residue of the of the drug in temple vessels. Okay, now that's evidence, not of much yet, but that that's the kind of thing we need to know if this is plausible or not. Well, I guess I'm, I could sum this up by saying there's no real reason to believe that these supposed visions in Old or New Testament actually happened even as visions. Now, I know people have visions or hallucinations or whatever you want to call them, but these seem a little too planned and literary. Uh, and uh, like when when uh, Ezekiel sees the uh, the weird throne yeah. chariot with God and and uh, all that, it suddenly dawned on me as I was writing my uh, book, um, uh, 
holy fable, the Old Testament without, uh, what the heck was it, without faith or something. Um, what that is and all of its meticulous detail is Ezekiel's blueprint for a new Ark of the Covenant to go into the new temple. Wow. He wearisomely outlines some chapters later. I thought, surely that's it. If he had seen a vision, he'd never remember such detail. Would he have gotten into stuff like how the wheels pivot and all that? What? Uh, well, he's, he's making a new style Ark of the Covenant so you don't have it fall into a ditch because the guy's carrying it with poles trip, uh, like in whatever it is, 2 Samuel. Uh, and so it seems to me that's kind of what we're dealing with with these visions. They're, they're like the book of Revelation. That's mm -hmm. not any vision anybody ever had. It's all a literary construction and a brilliant one. Uh, and, and it's almost doing it a disservice to think it's an actual record of visions people have visions but th this doesn't read like one to me mm -hmm. that's a great point great point and for my last question i'd like to see uh your view on zoroastrianism's sorry zoroastrianism's influence on christianity yeah i uh am of the school of thought that uh during the exile, Jewish priests and thinkers who couldn't help uh, be uh, educated about Zoroastrianism once Cyrus the Persian took over, who was very friendly to them, uh, had high up Jewish officials like uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, and uh, his policy, that of the Persian Empire, was to uh, to support the reconsolidation of the religion of the people conquered by the Babylonians, their predecessors. And so they sent Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, we want you to, to, uh, to do your thing and we will bankroll the reconstruction of your temple. Well, there were, as, as you see in Ezra, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, these guys that came with Persian authority didn't get along well with the majority of Jews who had never left Palestine. We somehow have this crazy idea that they depopulated, that the Babylonians took all the Jews away. And that doesn't say that. It's just the, the hierarchy they, they deported. Well, most Jews were still there. They used to worship at the ruins of the temple. That's what Lamentations is. It's the, the dirges they would sing there. Uh, and so when they got back, there was a big tension. And why? Well, I think the theory is correct that uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and the gang basically imposed a kind of Zoroastrian version of Judaism, which is why before the exile, you have Satan as God's lieutenant, but afterward, he's the evil anti-God like mm -hmm. Ahriman. This is why, whereas you had sacred kings earlier, now you had a coming Messiah who would raise from, people from the dead, like the Seoshians, the virgin-born benefactor who would come from the seed of Zoroaster. This is why you had this apocalyptic 
dispensational sequence of history. Didn't have it before the exile, but they did afterward. Uh, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, you didn't have that before, you did now. Uh, angelology, the fantastic uh, uh, hierarchy of angels, the, the idea of guardian angels that pops up twice in the New Testament. That's all Zoroastrian. Mm. And, and uh, in fact, there were some rabbis who's, who thought that Baruch, the scribe of Jeremiah, was the prophet Zoroaster. Uh, and uh, uh, what is going on here? Well, it seems to me that, uh, and th this to me is the capper. Why did the Sadducees and the Pharisees not get along? Well, the Sadducees were old-time, rock-ribbed uh, Jewish conservatives. They they accepted only uh, the Pentateuch, the Scripture, the other stuff. Nah, it's kind of apocryphal. They didn't believe in the oral tradition of the rabbis, etc., etc., and what about the Pharisees? They believed in all these doctrines that the Zoroastrians believed, and that's why they got the name Pharisee. It was a it was a mocking name, uh, another pronunciation of Parsi or Persian Zoroastrian. The the uh, the Sadducees were saying you're not even Jews anymore. You guys are Zoroastrians. Admit it. Uh, and they, oh, no, 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 uh, we can uh, show you where resurrection comes from uh, uh, the burning bush narrative. God said, uh, I am the God of Abe, Ike, and Jake. Not I was. Uh, so they're still alive or something. I mean, if you got to go to that length to, to say your doctrines are genuinely biblical, you, I mean, you're you know you're grabbing at straws so i think yes uh it's if there if this had not happened you would not have christianity or islam because it's the resurrection the apocalyptic thing the savior and all that you wouldn't have had that but for zoroastrianism which means it is the great link between the religions of the west and the east because it is a mutation of of hinduism just like buddhism is mm. and i have a book coming out a massive one over 600 pages i think oh yeah called yeah, Houses you. of the Holy, uh, a higher critical survey of the world religions. It's coming out from Pitchstone Books, I guess it is, uh, probably in in 2024. But I go into all of these, these things, the okay. survey of the theology of 12 religions, not the, the usual five. And uh, there's all kinds of fascinating stuff. Uh, and and I, you probably get a big kick out of it. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, um, I'm glad you asked those questions, Nathan, because those were pretty much what I wanted to know, too. Just not from him, just curiosity, period. And you you answered them greatly, Dr. I, Dr. Price. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, I like to keep these things at like to an hour so that way we don't get overwhelmed and stuff like that. Uh, I'm wondering, would you be willing to have a second discussion with us about this? Because I'm going oh, back. Sure. I would I'm going to watch this again. Like I watch I'm going to watch this a lot. And this is.